0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to episode 106 of the Practicology Podcast. We are titling this one, How to Compare Ourselves in a Way That Serves Joy, Not Steals It. A long title, but a valuable title. My human beings are creatures of comparison. When life brings two or more people together, our natural instant reaction is to start to compare themselves with each other.
1: That's so true. We, we do this everywhere. Uh, in the gym, in class, at the office, in the shopping line. Hey,
0: we even do this in the church. Yeah, you mean like maybe saying, well, my Bible is smaller than yours.
1: Yeah, and my cover has a nicer color and the leather is softer. And usually
0: this comparison game steals our joy. You've maybe heard that famous quote, comparison is the thief of joy.
1: And that quote rings true, doesn't it? I mean, comparison has stolen my joy too many times to count, and so much so, in fact, that I've actually had cause to reflect more on this business of comparing ourselves to one another. I, I do it so much that I've needed to, to think about this. Why am I doing this? And and so what what are we supposed to do with our tendency to compare and, and the fact that it does steal our joy? And Should we just not compare ourselves anymore? Is that the answer? Nip this thing in the bud and try never to compare ourselves again. Or is it just that we need to do the comparing, but do it in a different way? And I've come to believe that there's a way to compare ourselves to other Christians that doesn't steal our joy, but as the title said, it actually serves our joy.
0: This is gonna be very helpful to us, Mike, so I'm looking forward to it. But as you say, Christians are not exempt from playing the comparison game. I guess you could say that we just sort of have our own version of it, a more religious version of it. Take the game called Sequence. And just like there's travel sequence and number sequence and Bible sequence, there's also the Christian version of the comparison game, isn't there? Mm -hmm.
1: And we play this Christian comparison game in two different directions. So number one direction is as a Christian, I can be thinking, you need to be like me. The rest of you, you need to be like me. Your salvation story needs to be the same as mine. The thing you're burdened about and passionate about, that should be the same thing I'm passionate about. And your experiences in the Christian life should mirror the experiences
0: I've had in the Christian life. And the flip side to that is that we look at other Christians and think, oh, I need to be like them. Oh no, that that person giving his testimony right now, he went through three months of deep conviction and soul trouble. My salvation story just consists of me sitting on my mother's knee when I was a little boy. Maybe maybe I'm not saved after all, because my story doesn't seem to be as good as his.
1: Huh, yeah my guess is that we all do this and we all do a bit of both of those directions you know at times we think that others should be like me and we sort of foist our our experiences on others and then other times we feel that our experiences should match the ones that we're hearing other christians talk about and in either case this can be a major joy stealer uh, especially when i'm trapped in the thinking that my experiences need to live up to other people's experiences because then I start to doubt the legitimacy of my faith or that there's something wrong with my christian walk and i must be doing something wrong because i never had a crisis moment three years after my baptism like uh sister so-and-so you know maybe mine came four years after oh no so how can we learn to compare ourselves with other christians in such a way that it serves our joy instead of stealing our joy well i think pilgrim's progress can help us and i've been reading it a fair bit lately as you can imagine And it struck me how often Christian finds himself side by side with another person or a group of people. And every time he and the other party, they begin making comparisons with each other. Now, follow this closely. Sometimes Christian is saying to the other person, you need to be like me, you know, like some character will come tumbling over a wall onto Christian's path. And this person will say he's a pilgrim, just like Christian heading for heaven. And Christian will say, hey, wait a sec. I came through the narrow gate, but I just saw you take a shortcut and jump the wall. You need to use the same door I use. You need to go to the cross like I did. You need a robe of righteousness like I'm wearing right now. You need a scroll of assurance like I have. Right? He's saying there are a few things
0: that you need to be like me Right? Absolutely. But then there are lots of other times where Christian finds himself walking the narrow road with someone who did go through the narrow gate and become saved. And then they start comparing their journeys. And they don't say to each other, what? You never fought with Apollyon in the Valley of Humiliation? You should have had that same experience I had. What's wrong with you?
1: Yeah, in this week's reading, Christian catches up to another believer named Faithful, and they start comparing their stories together. And immediately, you know, their differences begin to emerge in, in Christian's salvation story he fell into the slew of despond. While well, Faithful, he navigated that slough no problem. In Christian's salvation story, he got waylaid by worldly wise men and nearly missed salvation because he was attracted to this gospel message of works. Well, Faithful never had either of those problems. Instead, he had an ongoing struggle with a lady named Wanton, but other than that, he went straight to the sheep gate, the door, and entered and was saved. But the point is this, <clears throat> Christian did not do to Faithful what he does say to the character formality and hypocrisy. Earlier in the book, to, to formality and hypocrisy, he said, no, 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 I went through the gate, you need to go through the gate. But when Christian's talking to Faithful, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, that experience I had in the slew of despond, you should have had that too. That overwhelming battle with guilt or that brief stint where I tried to save myself by reforming my life, those experiences are normative for everyone who's truly saved. And faithful, I'm really fearful that you're not saved because you never had the same experience Boy, as I have.
0: So, so Bunyan is showing us that there is one thing that we do need to have in common. We need to go through the narrow door. There is one faith, Ephesians 4, but our stories and experiences of how we get to that door can vary widely. I'm glad we're talking about these things, Mike, because this, I think, is really important. So many people, when they hear other Christians sharing their testimony, they can be very prone to comparing it to their own testimony in a way that definitely steals their joy. And so the lesson is we need to have the same Savior. We don't all have an identical story of how we came to the Savior, and that's okay. If the sister telling how she was saved says that she cried and cried and then it hit her that Christ died for her sins, praise the Lord. That doesn't mean you need to think, oh, her sins bothered her deeper than my sins bothered me. She cried more. I, I don't know if I felt that bad, so maybe I didn't really fully repent and believe. That's not what we're to take from that.
1: Right, yeah. Or what, if, what about the person sharing um, that has a date and a time, you know? And he can tell you the exact day on the calendar and, and the time on the clock, and you can't. Well, the Lord Jesus never said in the scriptures that whoever has a day and a time has eternal life, he said whoever believes in him, whoever comes to him, has eternal life. So the point is, having Christ as your savior, that's what's normative. But many of the details about what transpired on the way to receiving Christ as savior, those details are not normative. God doesn't use copy and paste when he writes our salvation story. Okay, stories. very
0: good. Well, let's look at Christian's life on the other side of the sheep gate, Mike. We've talked about comparing our experiences leading up to salvation. What about our experiences in the Christian life after salvation?
1: Well, here too, we can make the same mistake. And I think we've already alluded to this. You know, some Christians will speak of great crises in their faith, and then suddenly there was a marvelous intervention by God, and they have a great experience of Christ. Well, these are wonderful times, at least once you get through them. And I look back at crises moments and spiritual breakthroughs in my life, but you know we've we got to be careful not to make them normative for other Christians if the Bible doesn't say they're normative and you know as i as I say that I, I recognize that i I have been guilty of this in my life, you know especially maybe I don't know fifteen 20 years ago i I had some big crises moments in in my um, walk with the Lord and I think I used to Imply. Maybe I didn't say it out loud, but I think I used to imply, even maybe to my wife who who did not struggle with the same things I did, but I used to imply a little bit maybe that, you know, other Christians should have the same
0: experiences that I had. And I was wrong in that. Thanks for your honesty there, Mike. And yeah, Bunyan really is helpful with this, because when Christian and faithful begin comparing their Christian lives thus far, it turns out that when Christian came to the house beautiful, the lions were awake and it was a great test of his faith to get through. But when faithful comes to the house, it's noontime, and the lions are having an afternoon nap. But there's no hint that his Christian life is inferior because he never had to walk through that trial. The Lord of the hill chose him to go through different trials and hardships. And I want you all to keep this in mind in our next episode, too. This is going to be really relevant then also.
1: Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, But yeah, just for this episode... There, there are so many differences between these two pilgrims walking side by side. As we've said, different salvation stories. Same door though, but different stories, right? Different temperaments. Christian is really prone to introspection and, you know, depression and, and all that. Whereas Faithful, he's, he's more simple-minded. He's just like, if it says it, I believe it. And, and he's more optimistic. They have different weaknesses. Christian is extremely vulnerable to guilt and pride. Whereas faithful is more vulnerable to baser temptations, you know, uh, the lady wanton, sexual sin, love of money, just being highly regarded by the world. That's what he's really in for. But Christian, he's vulnerable to more subtle attacks. They have different experiences, as we've said, many different experiences and different strengths. Christian has way more discernment. He's really good at seeing through traps, although he's not perfect at it, but he often will see things that faithful doesn't whereas faithful has greater faith. so No surprise there. So, yet neither uh, of these differences implies, or, or neither of these pilgrims implies, that the other should have the same experiences, the same weaknesses, strengths, etc., as the other. Nor does either internalize the differences and, and chastise himself for,
0: you know, not going through similar I things. I love that comparison that you just went through, Mike. It just makes me uh, all the more impressed with... Bunyan's skill in writing this and how everything seems to be so meaningful and significant. And my mind also goes to John 21 um, when you talk about this comparison. First, the Lord asked Peter if he loves him more than these, which I would suggest means do you love me, Peter, more than the other disciples love me? And maybe the Lord is gently reminding Peter of a time when he said that even if the other disciples ran away, he would not. And of course, we all knew Peter fell pretty hard. But this time, Peter doesn't go there. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, you know I love you more than the others love you. He just says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. There was a comparison Peter wasn't going to make. But then the Lord tells Peter how Peter will die for him. And Peter turns around and sees John and says, Lord, what about him? What about this other guy? And Jesus answers, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. There's your focus, Peter. And this passage shows us that what Bunyan is saying is true. The Lord of the hill has different experiences charted for us. For Peter, it was to die on a cross. For John, it was to get old and be exiled on the island of Patmos. Our experiences and trials and giftings are not normative.
1: Yeah, that John 21 example, Matthew, just flows right back into Pilgrim's Progress because uh, Christian and faithful, uh, I guess we're we're jumping ahead here, but when they get to Vanity Fair, actually, no, this is the, this week's reading. When they get to Vanity Fair only the one of them is called to die a martyr's death there, right? Whereas Christian is, is called to take the longer route of faithfulness to the Lord. And so, uh, yeah, Peter was to die early on the cross and John was to stick around longer. But, um, but maybe I can wrap up this episode with three takeaways here on how we can swap stories with one another, how we can compare experiences with fellow Christians along the road, But do it in a way that serves our joy instead of stealing it. So number one, learn to prize the commonalities. Learn to prize the commonalities. When you hear how someone else got saved, prize what you have in common. You both believed in the same Savior. You both received the same salvation. You became children of the same Father and dwelled by the same Spirit. How it all transpired in your life, yeah, that's different but learn to praise God
0: for what we have in common. Christian and faithful certainly model this. When Christian catches up to faithful, he says, I am glad that I have overtaken you and that God has done a work in both our spirits so that we can walk as companions on this pleasant path. So he's prizing what they have in common, like you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Ephesians 4, this is a biblical exhortation to, to prize what we have in common. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But, you know, interestingly, the very next verse there in Ephesians 4, Paul goes from commonalities to differences, to distinctions. There is a diversity in the church, in other words. There's these commonalities that we prize, but there are diversities. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he goes on there to talk about the diversity of gifts in in the body. And so that takes us to point two. If the first takeaway is learn to prize the commonalities, well, secondly, learn to receive the differences as gifts from God to you. Learn to receive the differences as gifts from God to you, in other words, not as something to make you guilty or feel guilty, but as something that are gifts. We can be so goofy as Christians. Uh, just before that quote you gave, uh, Matthew of Christian. Um, just before that, Christian sees faithful ahead of him, and he makes a comparison. You know, faithful's ahead of me. Uh, faithful, it turns out, had actually started after. Christian had started his pilgrimage, and yet here is Faithful and he's ahead on the journey. He's faster. He's ahead. So Christian runs and overtakes him, and and we can be so goofy as Christians. You know, when he gets um, on par with Faithful, he doesn't stop. He actually keeps going a bit. So he can be ahead of Faithful. And then he turns around and proudly smiles, feeling snug about overtaking Faithful. And Aren't we like this a little bit? You know, I get talking to another Christian and just feel that need inside to outdo him a little bit. Not, not obviously, but in a subtle way, you know, to make sure he knows I've read that same book too, or I've had that same experience too. Well, right then, Christian stumbles because of his pride. But guess what? Yeah, we're goofy, but this is how Christian friendships work. Faithful, he comes up to him and he shows him grace. He lifts him back to his feet. And the, the one who was um, prideful to the other and, and feeling superior to the other, he's down in the dirt and he learns that he needs to depend on his companion. And so Faithful lifts him back to his feet. And so begins a spiritual friendship where each greatly enriches and strengthens the other. And they share stories and they swap experiences. They each contribute different strengths and gifts to their journey. Listen, our, our differences are not a bug in the Christian faith. They're a feature, a design feature. And as we compare ourselves and learn that the brother or sister beside us has gone through experiences we haven't had to go through and has strengths and weaknesses we don't have, we need to learn to receive these differences as gifts. Before Christmas, uh, we were on a seven-hour journey somewhere, and we came across a couple places where someone had put up uh, roadside scripture signs and immediately I mean this is a big problem in my life immediately I found myself comparing myself with whoever did this you know I was thinking ah oh, I should be doing that like I should be putting up verses everywhere some other Christian went to all the bother of getting a sign and putting it up there and 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 I should be doing that where is my zeal for the gospel what what is wrong with me and then I realized you know I do this all the time don't I why do I assume that every other Christian's ministry ought to be mine, that every other Christian's burden and area of service ought to be mine. Why can't I just accept that other believers will have a work for the Lord that I don't have? Why can't I just receive this other Christian's burden and ministry as a gift? And so I'm learning to do that, you know, to to praise God that He has tasked someone with putting up that road sign, and that's one less thing for me to do, and the Lord knows uh, I struggle to get the things i've already tried to commit to doing for him on my plate, so I, I just learning to see that as a gift someone else is taking care it's of a it. good
0: attitude towards it mike it's really relevant when it comes to spiritual gifts spiritual ministries and callings uh, we can suffer from ministry envy uh, and it becomes very oppressive actually just like you said the, the guilt that you felt from it too And when you come across Christians who can do things that you can't do because you're not called to do the same thing, you're not equipped to do the same thing, realize that's actually a gift from God to you. That's what you're saying. The whole point, of course, is that we can't live the Christian life on our own. We are a body. We need the service and abilities of others. And so, as you say, Mike, this isn't a bug, it's a feature. This helps us to learn humility as we learn to lean and depend on others, and I thank you for... This word to my own heart right now
1: hey you're welcome um thanks for modeling what i'm teaching uh and so just when i'm reading a book now and i spot this great insight instead of thinking oh i should have seen that you know why didn't i see that i'm trying to learn to say of course i wouldn't have seen that right like thank you lord for putting this author in my life to show me something that I could never have seen in my own. Thank you so much for serving me through this person in this way. I I need this person in my life, you know. Now when I see a Christian using her gift in ways I don't seem to be very good at, I'm learning to say, thank you, Lord. I need this sister. I need the service she can provide to the Lord's people, and I'm receiving your provision to me through her Lord. When I think of Christians I admire very highly, and I think if only I could be that smart and blessed and gifted, I try to think, Lord, Why am I envying this person when you've actually given this person to me? You know, God's gifts are not competitors. That's the point. God's gifts are not competitors to us. They're gifts to us. Yeah, this
0: is 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's.
1: Uh, so number three, third takeaway,
0: is learn to praise God for his creativity.
1: Imagine if God had used a fill-in-the-blank template when writing our stories. Uh, our children have listened to some of the G.A. Henty audio stories and we laugh about how they all sound the same. the The scene changes, you know, one story will be in England, another in Spain, another in the U.S., and so on. And the time period will change, one from the third century to 16th century and all that, but everything else is the same. You've got two young lads, and one of them is especially heroic. They go on an adventure, the heroic lad saves the beautiful girl from distress, and the two of them get married. And it's like J.A. Henty had a template with all these spots where it says, you know, insert name of damsel here. But God doesn't use a cookie cutter approach to make us. He doesn't use a fill-in-the-blank template when writing our salvation stories. He doesn't use copy and paste when designing the path each of us would travel after entering Christ. He designed our differences with great creativity, and he did so for our own good and for the good of others. And so we could just reference 1 Corinthians 12, you know, where it says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good so
0: let me recap a little how can we learn to compare ourselves with other believers in a way that serves our joy instead of stealing it well number one we can focus on and celebrate those few core things we have in common this person and i have the same lord the same savior the same father the same spirit the same eternal destiny praise the lord second all those things in which we are different we can receive them as gifts That person went through an experience that I haven't gone through. So she can tell me about it and I can learn from it without having to go through it myself. Praise the Lord. That brother has a gift that enables him to do things I can't do. Instead of envying him for it, how about I just receive him as Christ wants me to receive him? He's a gift to me that the Lord has given to help me in my Christian walk. Thirdly, as we encounter other Christians and discover how wide-ranging our stories and experiences and strengths and weaknesses are, let's reflect on the creativity of our wise father. In designing who we would be and writing out the stories we would live, he never used the copy-and-paste approach. He's a wise God. As David writes in Psalm 139, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Thanks so much, Mike, for these good words today.
1: My pleasure. I hope everyone's enjoying as we go through Pilgrim's Progress. And so listeners, um, for this week, try to read from just after Vanity Fair to when Christian gets to to the delectable mountains. We have two more episodes to go, and if you can get through those chapters, you'll be perfectly positioned for our next episode.
0: Thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you all.